Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. We are working through a short series entitled, What Next? In it, we're examining what's next. What happens after death for a Christian? What happens after death for a non-believer? Today, we're going to be concluding a message entitled, From Death to the Resurrection. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Here's Pastor Paul Blair. When Abraham was alive, I was his God. When Jacob was alive, I was his God. No, God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What is that pointing out, ladies and gentlemen? That God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were very much alive even at that point in time. Point number three. Here's what we know about those that have gone on before us. The saved are immediately with the Lord. We already saw this passage of Scripture from Luke 23, the thief that was on the cross next to Jesus. Jesus said unto him, Today you will be with me in paradise. Where was Jesus that day, immediately when he dismissed his spirit? In paradise. Where was the thief, if Jesus could keep his promise? With Jesus in paradise. Our text this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, says this in verse 6, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body... We are absent from the Lord, for now we walk by faith and not by sight. But we are confident, I say, and willing rather, what? To be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The moment the soul of a believer departs this body, where is that believer? With the Lord. Is the Bible true? How many of you claim to be Christians? How many of you claim to believe the Word of God? Well, then what does the Word of God say about this subject? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Philippians 1, we studied last week, Paul talked about the the fact that, you know, as a human being, he wasn't looking forward to going through death's doorway. In fact, he prayed for boldness, that when he faced the executioner's acts, that he he would be strong even unto death. Nevertheless, Paul knew and said this, hey, I'm torn between the two. I want to stay here and be with you because I love you guys, but I also have a desire to depart and what? To be with Christ. Where did Paul think he was going to be a moment after he died? By the way, he said it's going to be much better. Acts chapter 7, we recounted the story last week of Stephen as Stephen was being stoned to death. And before Stephen's soul departed his physical body, God pulled back the veil from this dimension into the next and Stephen could see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father welcoming him to heaven. And it says this, Stephen calling upon God saying, Lord Jesus receive my spirit where was Stephen the moment his soul departed his body with Jesus first Thessalonians chapter 4 one of my favorite passages beginning in verse 13 but I would not have you to be ignorant brethren boy isn't that the case we don't want any ignorant brethren around here some boy those commas are important aren't they I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning those which are currently dead, those which are physically, their bodies are sleeping, that you sorrow not, 
even as others which have no hope. We're going to sorrow, but we don't sorrow like those that are lost because there's hopelessness there. With us, there's sorrow because we can't go hug our mom or can't hug our dad that day. We can't talk to them that day. But we don't sorrow as those that have no hope because we recognize this great reunion that's coming that Paul's going to talk about. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now if he's bringing them with him, where are they now? With him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Truth number four, the saved are in a far better condition. Again, we'll go back to what we read last week as Paul in a Roman prison, possibly facing martyrdom on any day. And Paul said this, we just read it a moment ago, but we're looking at a different part of it. I'm a straight, I'm torn between wanting to live and wanting to die. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is what? Far better, exceedingly better, abundantly better. Now grasp this, folks. Remember, we read in 2 Corinthians 5, we don't walk by sight, or we're not supposed to. And that's where our problem is. Because it's human nature, we want to we walk by sight and touch things. But the things that we can see are temporary. God's promises that we cannot see with these eyes, we can only see with the eye of faith, are eternal. Now what's interesting is from a physical perspective, Paul at any point in day could be separated from his head. You'd say, that's not a good day. Well, physically, it wouldn't be. And Paul recognized that because as, as human beings, we don't like pain. None of us want suffering. But we can with confidence recognize what Paul was telling us. That although we don't look forward to a painful doorway, we can with confidence embrace the realization that to be with Christ is exceedingly, abundantly better than our current situation. Truth number five, the saved are in a conscious state of rest. We'll look at a couple of passages of Scripture here, one of which is found in the book of Revelation. Now after, in Revelation uh, 6, we see what's called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These are the first four seals that are opened. By the way, these are man's inhumanity to man, as you see just how evil man can be and a significant portion of the world's population is dead and significant portion is martyred because of, of their faithfulness. And you see in the fifth seal, you see uh, natural disasters and supernatural disasters being poured out upon the planet, the beginning of the rest of, these, of God's wrath being poured out on, on planet Earth. And you see the kings of the earth at the tail end of, of chapter 6 hiding themselves from the face of God and from the judgment saying, Who shall stand against the wrath of the Lamb. And in chapter 7, we see two groups that will successfully make it. You see, initially, this 144,000 Jewish men, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls having a road to Damascus conversion. 
And then in the B part of that, you see, in the second part of that chapter, you see these that have been martyred for their faith. And you see them in verse 17. And one of the elders answered John, who was standing there saying, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And where do they come from? And he said, Sir, you know it. And he said unto me, These are those which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. And now get this, they shall no more hunger, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun burn them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto fountains of living waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Folks, a conscience state of peace and rest and care in the presence of the Lord. Notice another example that's given to us in Luke chapter 16. The story, and by the way, this is not a parable. This is an actual historical account being given by Jesus who knew because he was God in the flesh. And he was answering this false theory that the Pharisees were blessed by God because they were rich. And he responded with this story of the rich man and Lazarus, which ironically the rich man, who they assumed would be the righteous one, actually dies and goes to hell. And the poor beggar that's covered with sores was actually who they assumed would be unrighteous, being punished for his sins. God says, no, that guy was actually a believer. He walked by faith, endured some difficulties in this life, but when he died, he was in paradise. Look at what they said here. And there's just a couple of points. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. There are no names given in parables. This is a historical account. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, and there was this specific rich man. Why didn't God use his name? Remember what we read in Matthew, Depart from me, you cursed, I never knew you. Certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died. And he was carried by angels unto Abraham's bosom, a Jewish reference to paradise, to heaven. We see the, the term used later on. And the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Father Abraham far off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son... Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil, but now Lazarus is comforted, and thou art tormented. A couple of parts here recognize Lazarus died immediately in Abraham's bosom, paradise, and immediately Lazarus is. Notice this last sentence down here. What state is Lazarus in? What's it say? Comforted. So what can we conclude from all this, folks? We can take some comfort, because we know that a believer will never see nothingness. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And one day those who are in heaven will come back with him and be joined to their bodies. And we which are alive and remain at that time will be caught up to be with him. And our bodies will be transformed from these natural bodies into glorified bodies. Fashioned after the resurrection and glorified body that Jesus had. And to ever be with the Lord in all eternity. That's why you hear me say so often it doesn't matter whether you are five or 95 for a Christian our best days are still in front of us now what about point number six what about the lost 
the conscious state of the lost, the Scripture says, are in torment. We'll just look at that one passage we just read, and for the sake of time, we won't go back through and reread it, but notice that we see, none, a certain rich man. We see, two, that the rich man died. We see, three, that his body was buried, and while his body was buried, his soul was immediately in hell, being in torments. And he made the statement, I am tormented in this flame. He says again at the end that he is tormented. So for a believer, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For a non-believer who has rejected the love of Christ, to be to one that says, I don't want Jesus, well, don't worry, you won't have him. And you will be immediately separated from your body and, according to the Word of God, not just this passage, we can go to, to many others, will be in a place called, that we know as hell, which is fiery torment boy you just don't have preachers preach about that anymore do you let me tell you it's no fun to preach about it. it's no fun to acknowledge it or think about it but the reality is is it's still in the bible yeah absolutely point number seven and here's the question that we were set about to answer isn't it necessary then to have a body to exist can the soul exist without a body well ladies and gentlemen as we have seen and we will look a little further the evidence says no give you a couple of, uh, of illustrations number one Angels in Psalms and also in Hebrews 1 are called ministering spirits. Do angels exist? Yeah. And if you look in the scripture, you can see that they are invisible at times, but they are clearly visible at times and touchable at times. Let me give you two examples. In Genesis chapter 18, we see the pre-incarnate Christ coming with two angels to visit Abraham in the plains of Mamre going to explain to him the judgment that's getting ready to be poured out at Sodom. And while there, Abraham made them a wonderful meal, including lamb and vegetables and milk. And the scripture says in 18.8, Genesis 18.8, that the angels and the pre-incarnate Christ ate that meal with Adam. Well, that's interesting because angels are ministering spirits, yet in this case, they were very visible. I'm sorry, not with Adam, but with Abraham. They were visible to Abraham. They were visible to Sarah, and they were even able to consume a meal. Well, pastor, how can that happen? Folks, I can't tell you, but I'm just telling you what the scripture says did happen. Now, you go on into chapter 19, and you see that Jesus stayed there, and Abraham interceded on behalf of wicked Sodom, trying to, to hopefully uh, intercede for, for, for Sodom and to spare Sodom. And you see that the two angels went to get Lot. And if you look down in verse 16, you see that Lot was very reluctant to leave Sodom, and that the angels literally had to grab him by the arm and carry him out of the city. Is that a material response well, yeah it seems like it yet the scripture says that angels are ministering spirits yet at that point in time they were able to literally appear visit with talk with stay the night with lot and then take him and physically escort him out of the city let's look at some other examples of spiritual beings appearing to physical temporal men in first samuel chapter 28 we see the story of saul and samuel and samuel had been the prophet that had anointed saul and had been a counselor to saul and now samuel had 
died, and Saul, who had been self-willed much of his reign, disobeying Almighty God, much to Samuel's frustration, but now Saul was in a crisis, and he was seeking Samuel's leadership, so Saul went to a sorceress. The Bible calls her the witch of Endor, and she was literally a sorceress. As you can see from the passage of Scripture here, we'll not take time to read it, but let me just say this. She was not surprised that she called up and had a response from the next world, but she was expecting a demonic imposter. But what she actually saw ascending from the heart of the earth was the soul of Samuel, and it scared the pants off of her. But the observations I want you to notice is that she saw this individual and she could even describe him as an old man cometh up covered with a mantle. And then we see this Samuel spoke to Saul. So what do we notice about this spiritual creature? This, this person of Samuel that was not resurrected yet but was in paradise at that point in time. What do we notice? What observations can we make? Number one, she could see him and so could he. Number two, they could see him well enough to describe him. Number three, they were able to have a conversation. But this was not a material being. This was an immaterial being. Does the immaterial being exist? Yes. Do we ever cease to exist? No. Let's go to the next illustration, Matthew chapter 17. At transfiguration. Of course, this was immediately after at Caesarea Philippi. Peter had made the great confession of faith that we know and remember. That the, uh, Speaking on behalf of the apostles, and Jesus said, I am the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Immediately in chapter 17, it says six days later, Jesus took Peter and James and John his inner circle up onto, I believe, Mount Hermon, which is right up there adjacent to Caesarea Philippi. This is the tallest mountain in all of, of Israel. And we see that Jesus was transfigured before him, picking up there in verse 2. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now let's note who is all in this conversation. Jesus who was still very much alive and a physical body was there, but glorified as he will be in his glorified body. You see, Elijah, who had never tasted death. You remember, Elijah was caught up in a fiery chariot of the Lord. Elijah was present there. But also, who did they see standing there having a conversation? Moses. Now, Moses had died. Now, folks, they were able to see Moses and hear the conversation between Moses and Jesus and Elijah, yet Moses was not in his resurrected body yet. However, he existed there, and they were able to see him there. One other illustration, back to Revelation. This is John. This is immediately after the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the first four seals broken and you see this initial response in man's inhumanity to man. And you see John saying, I saw under the altar the what? Souls of them that were slain for the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, one day, unless the rapture comes first, these earthly bodies will stop functioning. 
your heart will beat for the last time. Your, your lungs will, will grasp air for the last time. The soul for the Christian is immediately with Jesus in heaven. As we have seen in a conscious state of comfort. Visibly present with the Lord. Differing visibly from one another. If you read 1 Corinthians 15 all the way through. Recognizable to each other. Conscious of our whereabouts. With the ability to communicate and to worship. And for some of us, we'll finally have the ability to sing. After the resurrection, our soul will come back with Jesus. Or if it, if it happens to be the rapture and we're already in heaven, we will come back with Jesus. The dead in Christ shall rise first, transformed in the twinkling of an eye. One of our old members here, a deacon named Jack Lindblom, said, he used to, whenever we would talk about this subject, he'd raise his hand and say, GE has measured that and it's one eleven thousandth of a second. Well, thank you, Brother Jack. So however long a twinkling of an eye is, that's how long it will take for those to be reunited with their, the body will be metamorphosed. As a, as, a, as a little worm becomes a butterfly, this old body dead in the grave will be transformed, rejoined to the soul to ever be with the Lord. We which are alive and remain at that coming shall be caught up and immediately transformed to forever be with the Lord. And then beginning next week, we'll talk about what takes place after the resurrection. But folks, understand this for an unbeliever who rejects Jesus Christ. And understand, when you reject Jesus Christ, you're refusing to believe in the testimony of God. And if you refuse to believe in the testimony of God, you're calling God a liar. And if you refuse to recognize the importance and the holiness of the shed blood of the Lamb, as Hebrews chapter 10 says, you are basically taking the blood of Christ and putting your foot on it, trampling it into the sand, and saying, it is worthless to me. Bible says you have insulted God Almighty. You've insulted the Holy Ghost. That person, according to the Scripture, immediately upon death, departs their body as in a place called hell, which Matthew 25, 44 says was not designed for man in the first place. It was made to punish the devil and his angels. It was made to punish sin. Man wasn't supposed to be there, but man sinned and chose to be there. And if a man dies rejecting the redemption that's offered by Jesus Christ and dies separated from Jesus, then he will spend eternity separated from Jesus, consciously suffering in what the Bible describes as torment and flames. What determines the difference in those destinies? We do. Jesus said in John 3 as he was talking with Nicodemus, this great teacher of Israel, and Nicodemus came to him to ask him some theological questions as he was marveling at the miracles. Jesus hit him right between the eyes and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You're never going to see the kingdom of heaven. Then he goes on and explains himself in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believes on him will not perish but have eternal life. Oh, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Me shall not perish but have everlasting life. God didn't send Me into the Son to condemn the world. The world was condemned already. 
Whosoever believeth in me, Jesus said, is not condemned. But whosoever believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Folks, we used this illustration last week. I don't know a better way of describing it. People say God wouldn't send anybody to hell. You're right. Your sin will send you to hell. And we are already, we are born in trespasses and sin. We're born descendants of Adam. And imagine if you were driving down the interstate, and you're on an interstate heading straight. Imagine the old ACDC song, Highway to Hell. That's what, we're, that's what you're on. Straight line. Because of our sin, that's justice. But because of God's love, God provided an exit ramp. Jesus, the Son of God, took our sins upon His own shoulders, paid the price that we owed, rose from the dead, proving that it was true and that the sin debt paid was sufficient. If the wages of sin is death, the fact that the chains of death could not hold Him proved that He paid the price sufficiently. He was raised again for our justification. And He offers to every one of us eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ. There's this exit ramp right here. And as you're approaching, it says, hell, 10 miles ahead. Heaven, exit right. Trust Jesus, 8 miles ahead. Trust Jesus, don't go to hell, 7 miles ahead. Exit right, trust Jesus. Notice how it's exit right, exit left is going to hell, but exit right. (laughs) Exit right, 6 miles ahead, trust Jesus, spend eternity in heaven. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, glorified bodies. Exit right. You get closer and closer and closer. Last chance. Exit right. Trust Jesus. Take exit. Otherwise, destiny in hell. If a person willingly says, I will not trust Jesus. It's not his fault that you wind up in hell. God loves us enough that He has proven His love for us in so many ways, but He loves us enough that He doesn't force us as robots to worship Him. It's up to every one of us to choose to love God in return. Paul says in Philippians 2, quoting from Isaiah 45, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you do it now in these human bodies before we die, then you receive the salvation that's offered by Jesus Christ. You receive Him as Lord and Savior, and you will never be separated from Him. But if you, with a stiff neck, refuse to bend your knee now, one day you will. But then it'll be too late. As you're standing at the great white throne judgment before what was your Savior, could have been your Savior, is now your judge. You will bend your knee. And you will confess. But at that point, it'll be too late. We thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. And we look forward to being with you next time as we continue our series entitled, What Next? Until next time, may God richly bless you. 
You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.